Hello there, and welcome to the Hales Owen Apostolic Church. Apostolic meaning what God says, not what man does. Please enjoy this teaching and feel free to share it with all who will listen. May you go forth in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. It's really interesting, isn't it, when you, you sit down with um, a word that's written down and before that people say things that you can relate to that brings into, into it um, you know Mark mentioned Sarah and her failings with not trusting God about the promise he made to her about the son the laughing the lying but ultimately, God blessed her with a son. And, you know, as, as Waymaker said, he is the promise keeper. You know, it just all fits in. And so, <clears throat> today's talk, and I hope it's a, an encouragement for us all. The title is, Failure Isn't Fatal. So there was a pastor, and I always like to start with a little story, and this is a very, very short story anyway. So there's a pastor called Levi Lusco, and he told a story about collecting shells on the beach with his daughter, Clover. Levi was looking for nice shells that were in good condition. Meanwhile, meanwhile his daughter, Clover, was picking up all the broken shells. When her little hands couldn't hold any more shells, she turned to her father and said, Daddy, the broken ones are beautiful too. And I think God sees things the same way. So, this is just an American woman who was writing, and this is part of her story. She said, The first few years... Heather Riggleman was her name. The first few years of my Christian walk were marked with deep feelings of not being enough, failures and feeling like I was the sum of all my mistakes. After all, what good Christian girl has got an arrest record or debt from careless shopping sprees or has visible scars from a suicide attempt or was a teenage mom or a recovering addict. She was one of those broken shells. She went on to say, <clears throat> to counter my past, I attempted to be perfect at everything. Being a mom, a wife, an employee. I even ensured that I had all the questions answered for my Bible study and that my daughter never had a stain on her clothes. And can you guess what happened? I failed and failed and failed again. It wasn't until, wasn't until after another blunder, a wise mentor from my small group pulled me aside to tell me something so profound it changed the course of my walk forever. Heather, perfection in this life does not exist. 
only God is perfect. If you were perfect, Jesus wouldn't exist in the first place. We all make mistakes, some more costly than others. We all do things we shouldn't. We all say things we shouldn't say. But no matter where we are in our Christian walk, when we make these mistakes, we can turn to the Bible for answers to remedy the situation. In fact, God can take our mistakes, our pain, and use it for his good. A hero is a person who is admired or idealized for courage, outstanding achievements, or noble features. Although Christ is our ultimate hero who seeks for each of us to be saved. Scripture points to numerous people who exemplified these qualities, but also made mistakes just like us. The Bible's most, some of the Bible's most celebrated heroes were sinners. Amen. And although they had a past, Christ redeemed and used their past, present and future. Linda referenced this on, on Wednesday, but the New Testament book of Hebrews includes a collection of great stories of the faith of men and women whom God used and blessed. I find it interesting because these people also messed up. They weren't perfect examples. But the funny thing is that chapter 11 of Hebrews mentions only their victories and not their mistakes. That is because God sees what we will become, not necessarily what we are. In fact, a lot of people we read about in the Bible messed up. Abraham, the father and faith of the Jewish, Jewish people, lied about his wife twice. His son Isaac did the same thing. Sarah, Abraham's wife, laughed at the promise of God and then denied that she laughed. Jacob lied and connived. Noah got drunk. Samson was immoral. Gideon was fearful. Rahab was a prostitute. David had an affair and then had someone murdered to cover it up. Elijah was deeply depressed and didn't want to live. And Jonah ran for God. The disciples fell asleep when they should have been praying. And Simon P Peter openly denied the Lord. Here are the brief stories of seven biblical characters whose failures weren't fatal. David. There's no question that David is one of the, the Bible's most important figures. It's easy to be inspired by his youthful willingness to fight Goliath, his tender friendship with Jonathan, the worshipful psalms he wrote, and his enduring patience under the wicked King Saul. It's almost hard to fathom that this beloved character, who is spoken so highly of 
in more than half of the Bible's books would also be guilty of breaking half of God's commandments. These are in Samuel 2. David coveted Uriah's wife Bathsheba. He committed adultery with her. He effectively stealed her from Uriah. He lied to him and eventually had him murdered. However, when the prophet Nathan confronts David for his depravity, he immediately repents, confessing his sin. When the son that is born to David and Bathsheba gets sick, David fasts, prays, and mourns his sin in an effort to see God heal the boy. When the child dies, David simply receives this outcome as God's judgment. When we have sinned, we must recognise it and repent. God's forgiveness doesn't necessarily save us from the consequences of our conduct, but it will, but if we've abandoned the behaviour and are willing to accept the consequences, God will still use us. prophet Elijah. Elijah had so many miraculous, ex miraculous experiences you'd think that he would have unshakable faith. After all, and these are in Kings 1, he caused the rain to stop for more than three years. He was fed by ravens. He saw a limitless jar of flour and a jug of oil. He witnessed a widow's son resurrected and beat the prophets of Baal by calling down fire from heaven. But when the showdown with the Baal worshippers so angered King Ahab and his wife Jezebel that she vowed to see him dead, Elijah couldn't take it. The pressure of being such a high-profile prophet of God had gotten to him and he hightailed it into the wilderness just scarpered off couldn't go but when God met him there Elijah was undone he was feeling like he was the only prophet left confident that he was completely isolated and risk of being harmed he was lonely, he was scared, he was frightened how do you imagine God responded to Elijah he fed him and allowed him to rest. After a time, he finally answered Elijah's complaints and he encouraged Elijah with a still, small voice that he was not alone. John Mark, often known as Mark, just Mark. John Mark's family was an important group of people in the early church. When Peter was miraculously released from prison, he knows, that he, he knows that the believers will be gathered at the home of John Mark's family. Due to his family's significance in the movement and relationship with Barnabas, Paul and Barnabas picked John Mark up on the way back from a mission trip to Jerusalem to take him with them to Antioch.
From there, Paul and Barnabas are sent to Cyprus, bringing John Mark along with them as an assistant. This is in Acts. Acts 13. But somewhere along the way, John Mark just decides he's had enough. After sailing to Perga, Acts tells us quite matter-of-factly that John left them there and returned to Jerusalem. Essentially, he quit. He failed when the going got rough. We don't know exactly why he abandoned them, but we know that it wasn't honourable. When Barnabas later suggests to Paul that they go get John Mark back, Paul refuses. Such a strong disagreement arises between the two that Barnabas and Paul separate. The two men who had been on multiple mission trips together are so divided over young John Mark that they will no longer work together. Many years later though, when Paul is sitting in prison awaiting trial, he writes a letter to the church at Colossae. He not only tells them that John Mark is with him and has been a great comfort, but he also tells them that they're to welcome him if he shows up. The kid that had sorely disappointed Paul had now become a man who brought him comfort. At one time, John Mark was a personality that caused division in the body, but now Paul is proudly calling him a fellow worker. All of us develop and grow at different speeds. Failure isn't always a sign that we can't cut it. Sometimes we're trying to just operate at a level that we're not mature enough to handle. We can always outgrow these kinds of failings, providing we don't give up. Amen. Paul, we all guess this one would have to be in here. Before Paul became the writer of most of the New Testament books, he was, of course, Saul, a terror to the early church. Not only was he present when Stephen, the first Christian martyr, was killed, he gave approval of the murder. From there, Luke tells us that Saul made it his business to destroy the church, going door to door in Jerusalem, looking for people who followed Jesus so that he could throw them into prison. After putting these people in prison, he planned to hunt down the Christians they sent mail to. On his way, though, he had an encounter with the resurrected Christ, and the rest is history. Did Paul regret his behaviour before meeting Jesus? How could he not? In his letter to Timothy, he said, Here is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the worst. But for that very reason, I was shown mercy so that in me, the worst of sinners, Christ Jesus 
might display his immense patience as an example for those who would believe in him and receive eternal life. That's 1 Timothy 15 to 16. For those who put their trust in Christ in later life, they are bound to be, there are bound to be reasons why you feel unqualified for service. But the gospel is so powerful that our transformation becomes a profound testimony to God's goodness and grace. Peter, loud and impetuous, Peter was the biggest personality in any room. It's no wonder that he joined James and John as one of Jesus' closest friends and confidants. In fact, he was the only disciple willing to try walking on the water. And he was the first to call Jesus the Christ and the Son of God. When Jesus predicts that Peter will deny him, Peter proudly rebuffs him. But the very night after Jesus is arrested, someone confronts him in the courtyard of the Sanhedrin and, in, and accuses him of being a follower of Christ. And just as Jesus predicted, Peter denies him three times, the third time cursing his accusers. When he realises what he's done, he breaks down and weeps bitterly. Did Peter's failure exclude him from Christ's plans? On the contrary, Peter is the first of the twelve that Jesus appeared to. He restores Peter in a touching moment on the Sea of Galilee. And Peter goes on to become the leader of the disciples preaching the first evangelical message after which more than 3,000 people get saved. That's, the, that's Acts 2. Noah. As an obedient servant of God in the Old Testament, Noah found favour with God despite the sinful world around him. When the present world finally grew too evil, Noah was tasked with building the great ark that would save his family and two animals of every kind. While many mocked this work, Noah and his descendants were among the first to lead and repopulate the earth after God flooded the first world he created. Hebrews 11.7 even tells us he had faith based on the belief that God would use him even when he couldn't see the outcome. Yet, like any human being, however, Noah planted the first vineyard after the flood and became the first drunk recorded in the Bible. <laughs> Noah's drunkenness inevitably led to the curse of Ham and that single event of his drunkenness and his son's Ham's inability to cover him created generational chaos for centuries to come. While this mistake had its consequences, God's grace is shown through Noah's legacy, a man of impossible faith. 
could have done far more than seven, but I'm going to stop at seven. And the final one is Moses. Although God called Moses to complete a task more significant than himself, he doubted God's choice of messenger to the captive Israelites because of his slow speech and his past mistakes. After killing a man and running from the consequences, Moses was a reluctant leader. But he eventually believed that God could and would use him. Not only did Moses free Israel through God's power, but he became a great, successful leader that many wanted to honour. The Bible tells us in Hebrew, Hebrews 11.25 that Moses chose rather to suffer the affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the passing pleasures of sin. Or put slightly differently, he chose to share the oppression of God's people instead of enjoying the fleeting pleasures of sin. Moses understood that God's worst was actually better than the world's best. Mistakes do not define you. They refine you. At least, this is what God does with our mistakes, our messes and our mishaps. If we allow him to clean up the mess, he will use every bit of it for our good. If we let him, if we let him, God will use the results of our mistakes as the foundation upon which he can build a new life for us. Just like the stories of the seven individuals we've heard, God works the same way with every soul that turns to him. Amen. He takes our mistakes and cultivates good out of them. Paul put it well in Romans 8:28. We know that all things work together for the good of those who love God, those who are called according to his purpose. He works through our mistakes knowing that there is strength in pain that can be gained no other way. Do you know what else is gained through our messes? Wisdom, hope and truth that redeems. Here's the thing. God isn't always committed to our happiness and comfort, but he is committed to our good. So three ways here that God uses mistakes for our good. God uses our mistakes to correct us. Mistakes are the tra training grounds that create powerful change and yield life's biggest lessons. It also points out areas in our lives that need to change. It sets us on the right path to run hard after God. And Proverbs 20.30 reminds us, sometimes it takes a painful experience to make us change our ways. God uses our mistakes, as I said earlier, to refine us. When we respond with a right heart filled with reverence, love, and the awe of God, mistakes, and problems become character builders. 
Refinement, re refinement removes the unwanted impurities in our lives. 1 Peter 1, 6-7 says, In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold, that perishes through it, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honour and at the revelation of Jesus Christ. And the third one is that God uses mistakes to protect us. A problem can either be the catalyst for growth or to stunt us. It's up to us and how we respond. But here's the truth that may be hard to swallow. God may have actually purposely intervened. One commentator explained, I learned this lesson when I chose not to walk away from a job I loved. God ensured though that I would have to turn in my keys to that office and it was a brutal, humble, refining experience. But looking back, it was a blessing in disguise because it prevented me from the more serious consequences that that career would have led to. Genesis 50.20 says, says it best. You planned evil against me, but God used those same plans for my good. Now we got Dolly Parton into the Christmas one, so we're going to get Johnny Cash into this one. <laughs> like many of us, Johnny Cash, the country singer, had his ups and downs and his highs and lows. He was known as the man in black and he cultivated a romantic outlaw image. A common misconception about him was that he went to prison. He never actually served a prison sentence, although he did land in jail seven times for misdemeanors, although each time he only stayed there one night each. Even though he was a strong believer, he had his struggles in life, but he did begin performing concerts in prisons in the late 1950s. He wrote a song called Folsom Prison Blues and people in America at the time started to think actually he was worse than he actually was. They assumed that he had really shot a man in Reno as the lyrics said but he never actually did. Johnny Cash wasn't a murderer but Moses was. Yet God, used Mo, yet, yet God used Moses to change the world. Maybe you've said, God could never use me. He could never work through me. The truth is that God loves broken people and he can change them. We see our flaws. We see our shortcomings. But God sees something different. He sees who we will be one day. We see a broken life, but he sees a life that can be put back together 
and used for his glory. Have you made a mistake that is so big you wonder if you will ever dig your way out? Have you said to God, I want to live for your purpose? I don't always get it right, but God, I need your leadership. I need your sovereignty and forgiveness. If that's the case, God is whispering to you right now, saying, I, God, take this mess and will use it for your good. Come to me, turn to me, trust in me. So what does this mean? If you fail, fail forward. I like that term, fail forward. Own it. Learn from it. And ask God to help you. He is all about redemption. And we can be thankful that God loves a good comeback story. Amen. Thank you, David. I think the Lord is... Uh really speaking to us today in many different ways and that uh, really is just amazing how that just fits in with everything that we've done today and uh, as David's right you know that whatever mistakes we've made it's it's okay um, and I believe when we were praying about, about the Lord changing our, our minds of who we are and that is just another teaching lesson there that we've got to change every single one of us so we're going to stand and uh, worship two songs uh, we just got the one I, I didn't know whether we'd made our minds up you see I had confusion and um, <laughs> and I will give a, a teaching lesson or a preaching one and I'll, give, I'll add to what David has said today and the, the preaching that I remember doing years ago and it was this make failure your friend isn't that amazing so we'll do that one later Dave just to cement some of this together